Yeah, that uh, yeah, those I guess uh, were uh, some remarks that uh, the uh, former apartheid president uh, Evia de Klerk made uh, in a uh, closing recorded message. Uh, and uh, this evening, we try and better understand the man from uh, somebody who uh, uh, had some interactions with him during a very critical moment in the history of our country. And uh, joined on the line by uh, Mr. Zuleting Apalo Jordan, a veteran of the ANC, intellectual historian and uh, activist scholar. And uh, Bauchola, let's welcome you to Metro FM Talk, and thank you very much for coming through. Good evening. Take us back to, um, you know, a year before the unbanning of the organizations, February 1989. Uh, the news comes to yourselves, I guess, um, you know, in the African National Congress that, you know, there's some shifts within uh, the ruling elite in South Africa. And uh, uh, the emergence of one F.W. de Klerk, he, I guess, man- outmaneuvers Baron Duplessis uh, to lead the National Party. What was the view at the time? of many of yourselves um, in the ANC about whether or not this was continuity or change? Well, we were aware that uh, there were all sorts of shifts and changes taking place uh, within the African elite and within its political establishment. Uh, at the time when de Klerk uh, succeeded uh, P.W. Porter, he was considered one of the conservatives Mm. Uh, members of the National Party. Uh, so, uh, you know, in those terms, one thought, well, we'll have a continuity of uh, the P.W. Boerter uh, policies. Uh, well, that wasn't the case as it turned out. Now, whether Baron Duplessis would have taken the same course as mm. the clerk eventually took or not, I mean, that's a matter of speculation. But uh, on the basis of the clerk's track record up until that time, uh, we saw him as a conservative and one who was likely to to continue the Puerto policies. Mm, mm, mm. And and I mean, this division at the time in the National Party, for Lichter and for Kramter, you know, conservative and the more, I guess, uh, who are of liberal bent. Um, In what way was that, um, I guess, you know, uh, something that you guys debated as something that was material to your own strategic discussions and how at that point, you were undertaking uh, your struggle? Well, in any political contest, especially uh, one that you know, is actually a national liberation movement, uh, one always has to be alert to divisions within the uh, opposing ranks, mm. to splits within it, tensions within it, uh, because you want to widen those tensions because those improve your own chances. So uh, we used to monitor what was happening in the NP, mm. and we used to monitor what was coming from the African um, academic elite. We used to monitor what was coming from the political elite. We used to monitor what was coming from the um, guys in business, <clears throat> because one had to be aware mm. of what those people were thinking. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jordan, hold the line there for me for a second. Uh, so unfortunate, we've got a spot break that's coming up. So I wanted to take that spot break, and when we come back, uh, I want us to talk about the de Klerk you encounter, uh, not just across the negotiating table, but also, I guess, in the early days of the government of national unity and uh, what overriding impression that left you with. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. in our headline segment uh, this evening. We're joined by Mr. Zuelitin Apalo Jordan, a veteran of the ANC, historian and uh, activist uh, scholar, uh, who uh, yeah, reflects with us this evening on the legacy of uh, Fieviet de Klerk. 
who was the last uh, South African apartheid president, passed away today at the age of 85. Do let us know some of your own thoughts as well. You can share your voice notes with us on 079-191-4270. Now, Baucho, I'm quite interested. As, you know, the unbanning happens, I mean, a lot of people have said, uh, you know, many of the liberation movements were caught unawares. I mean, the unbanning of the ANC, the SACP, the PAC, Azapo, and many other, uh, you know, liberation forces. Paint a picture for us of what, I guess, this announcement by de Klerk in February 1990, or even some of the events that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, preceded it. I mean, even that march in Cape Town. What was your reading at that point in time of the mood, not just in the country, but the mood inside the ruling National Party, around 1990 because there's this narrative that you know the ANC the PAC and the SACP were largely caught off guard by this uh, particular announcement no 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 that's it's really not the situation one was aware that there was going to be movement in one direction or another mm. on the part of FW de Klerk uh, with the opening of parliament we've been alerted to that in one way or another uh, by developments within the uh, academic circles that formerly used to up, uphold and support apartheid. Mm. And then on uh, February the 2nd itself, I was in Harare on that day, and one of our comrades, now late uh, Ike Mopoto, mm. uh, who uh, was, um, I suppose, attached to the security department of the ANC, had actually gotten hold of uh, the clerk's speech before he delivered it. Wow. And uh, I was then head of ANC Communications, and he handed it to me. Of course, I immediately recognized its importance, and we uh, faxed a copy to our headquarters in Lusaka, and uh, hopefully they faxed a copy of that to Sydney, which is where Uncle Walter and others were, mm. in uh, Oliver Tambo. So uh, apart from being alerted to possible developments, uh, on the very day, I had free knowledge of what he was going to say. Mm. So it didn't come as a surprise to us. Mm. Uh, at the same time, too, I think um, we must view uh, F.W. de Klerk's uh, political career in perspective and not get carried away by, uh, you know, the last few years of his political career because he was an active parliamentarian for 28 years. Mm. Mm. For 22 of those 28 years, he was deeply involved in the repressive actions uh, of the racist regime, which included, you know, your flock plus murder squads, included the suppression of the students, 1976, mm. included mass incarcerations, included the murder of uh, activists like the Kadok Four, mm. uh, you know, the Tangas and others. So uh, we shouldn't sugarcoat it because of what happened in 1990. Mm. Mm. Of course, it is to his credit that after 1990, after that speech on February 2nd, he was involved in the democratization of South Africa. But it doesn't wipe away the previous 32 years. In your reading um, of how subsequent memorializations and I guess interpretations of his legacy 
have viewed his involvement um, in the democratization. Um, why do you think there's this seeming whitewash of even his involvement in the State Security Council, you know, the uh, uh, merciless killing in 1993 of those youths in Mtata in what they had felt was an APLA base at the time? Mm. Why, why is there the sense, Boy Patong, why is there the sense that, you know, in a way the Nobel Peace Prize and the latter democratization of our society uh, sort of whitewashed some of those uh, scenes. Uh, what do you think, I guess, uh, contributes and maybe sustains that particular view? Well, I think there's always a temptation uh, to see the good in people. Uh, and then also, I think, um, on the part of many of our um, white South African compatriots, <laughs> there is um, a desperate need to feel that, uh, you know, uh, they contributed to the change that happened in South Africa, and that the uh, Turk led them in that effort. Uh, so, uh, you know, there will be that temptation to whitewash it. But what I'm saying is that we have to maintain perspective. And remember, 28 years as an active parliamentarian, 22 involved in the suppression, active suppression of the movement for democracy in South Africa. Mm. Talk to me about de Klerk, leader of the National Party delegation uh, to uh, the Khrotoskir talks, to Kodesa, and all of the, I guess, you know, preparatory work uh, for what la later became a constituent assembly and the government of national unity. Yes, you'll remember <laughs> on the very first day at Kodesa, there was that clash between him and uh, Madiwa mm. because uh, de Klerk used the occasion to try and attack the ANC. And Madiba replied in the manner that he did. Uh, so that, I think, set the tone for what was going to happen in the, you know, during the Codessa uh, negotiations themselves. And as you know, we broke off uh, negotiations around Codessa, one, uh, because of the continued uh, third force activity which the clerk either had the incapacity or the inability or unwillingness to uh, address and suppress. So uh, we broke up negotiations at that point, and, well, we had to renegotiate, go to Kodesa too. And then from then on, I think uh, things moved more or less you know, smoothly uh, to the adoption of the interim constitution and then the elections in 1994. Now, in the actual negotiations in Codesa I and Codesa II, the National Party came with its program, and its program one could describe as a modified form of apartheid, if you like, you know, multiracial apartheid, in which uh, we would not be governed as South African citizens, but as members of uh, groups defined either ethnically or otherwise. And their notion was group rights. They were supported in that uh, by the then uh, Democratic Party, mm. which later moved into the DA, supported also by the IFP, which was playing its own game, blowing hot and cold on the issue of negotiations. Today they didn't borrow their art, etc., etc. But that program was defeated in both Codessa I and Codessa II, which is why we emerged with the Constitution that speaks in terms of individual human rights and not group rights. 
Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I guess, you know, that in many ways frames the parameters of whatever, um, you know, positions, I guess, were arrived at and some of the concessions that might have been made in that moment. Fast forward for us to the government of national unity. Uh, and of course, I guess, uh, what might have led to that spectacular, maybe spectacular is not the word, but that walkout by um, the then national party from the government of national unity. Well, I never understood the reason why they walked out. Uh, the government of national unity was one of the concessions that we thought was necessary to make in order to uh, make the transition a little bit more stable, also to modify the fears and trepidations of uh, the white community and the other community that appeared to be very concerned as represented by the IFP. So, uh, yeah, we had that government of national unity in which then the NP and the IFP were included. I think the role the National Party played in the government of national unity, uh, no, they weren't an impediment, mm. but there were, of course, moments of uh, tension, and uh, there were moments in which, uh, you know, there were quarrels. There was one cabinet meeting where I was sitting sort of uh, uh, across the way from the Turk when I thought he was going to walk out because he became so angry at what Matiba had said to him. But he did walk out. So there were those sorts of tensions. But on the whole, I think uh, in the government of national unity, um, they did not play an obstructive role. At all? No, no. I think most of the measures we wanted... Uh, to uh, you know, to implement, mm. they didn't obstruct them. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk, and then, I mean, in your view, um, because at some stage, you know, you you were a, a minister of arts and culture, and you would have certainly been following, I guess, uh, what culturally might have been happening in Declarac's constituency, the same constituency uh, that he had gone to seek out a mandate from with the referendum in the early nineties. Um, your, your reflections, I guess, of you know that moment happens, the new national part, well, the new. National Party becomes the new National Party, becomes dissolved, some go into the ANC. Um, what did that moment, I guess, signal in white South Africa? Because uh, I'm interested in your sort of reading of what uh, then subsequently happened, and I guess uh, fast-forwarding to where we are now, uh, where it does seem, for all intents and purposes, I guess with the electoral outcome, that there is this receding into some lager of certain parts uh, that would have, I guess, been historically... National Party voters, Afrikaner nationalists who might have sided with the Democratic Party and later the DA, uh, who are now, I guess, cozying up to the Frey Aids Front Plus. Yes. Let's remember it was the old National Party that went into negotiations that the clerk led. It was the old National Party that went into the government of national unity. Mm. The new National Party is after they leave the government of national unity. Yes. In 1996, that's when it becomes the new National Party. It is the old National Party that declared clear. So, uh, yeah, let's, let, let's just get that in perspective mm. as well, because those are the facts. Now, uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, there is that uh, residual, I suppose, um, racism and residual uh, resistance to change. Uh, amongst many sections of the of the white community, uh, and um, 
I was one of the people who had uh, commended uh, Helen Ziller when she became leader of the DA because she seemed to have come to terms with the change that had happened in 1994, mm. and I thought that she would be able to persuade the majority of white voters to accept it as well, because uh, they voted on block, as you remember, for the NP in 1994, and then voted on block for the uh, Democratic Party mm. in uh, 1999. But uh, it's evident that she was not able to do that, and it seems as if she herself is not fully convinced about uh, the change that happened in 1994. There's a lot of blacksliding in terms of that on her part as well. Mm. So I'm not surprised that, uh, uh, you know, the the DA now uh, is retreating uh, into the white lager, so to speak, and uh, feels that uh, if it uh, embraces the changes that came with 1994, more fervently, mm. it might lose its sheet anchor support amongst the white electorate. I'm not surprised at that at all. What I'm shocked about is the people who are leading that charge to the right. Who you would have expected, I guess, to, to be more, maybe what, center-right? No, no, I mean, or... people like Helen Ziller, as mm. I said, I had, when she became leader of the DA, I had said, good. This is someone who has come to terms mm. with what happened in 1994. Yeah. She is now leading the charge in the opposite direction. Maybe a last one, uh, 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 Mr. Mr. Jordan. And I guess, you know, this one for me has to do with the more recent uh, controversy around uh, uh, de Clark, um, be it from his appearance, um, you know, at the State of the Nation address uh, before the two houses of parliament uh, as a guest um, and how the EFF responded to that. Uh, his fervent defense, even, I guess, in global uh, media platforms, uh, against this view that apartheid was a crime against humanity, um, which, in a sense, I guess, could constitute some global consensus, even much, much earlier than where we are now. Uh, wh- why this sense of digging in your heels? Why the sense... I mean, we spoke to Lukanyo Talata here a few months ago, um, and his one wish was, you know, reveal some of what was agreed in that state security council, the hit orders uh, on his father and many other activists, for instance, uh, in the Eastern Cape in the late, uh, uh, you know, in the mid-80s. And yet none of that happened. And I guess it's a major signifier of what that entire security establishment was able to disclose or not disclose. Mm. Yeah, well, um, it would have been difficult for the clerk to accept that apartheid was a crime against humanity. Let's remember that his father, Jan de Klerk, was one of the leading uh, members of D.F. Balan's uh, National Party, mm. which came into office in May '48, uh, and uh, played a big role in uh, the construction of the whole edifice of apartheid. He himself, when he went into politics, uh, was a supporter of apartheid and played his role in depth of uh, upholding it, strengthening it, mm. and as I say, played an active part in the repression, the brutal repression of the democratic forces in South Africa. So he's not about to admit that I was involved in a crime, my father was involved in a crime. So, uh, you know, yeah, from that point of view, you know, I think uh, that was to be expected.
Uh, what has been kept concealed uh, about what they did in the United States Security Council and other such uh, bodies, well, I suppose uh, maybe if those records have been preserved, in time we'll learn what they said and did. Mm. But uh, you'll remember in 94 they did say that they <coughs> Uh, put to the flame uh, tons and tons and tons in a East of Coast documentation. In a East Coast so maybe Mountain. those records have been lost forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Bauchol, let's leave it there. And uh, thank you very much for so generously sharing of your time. Uh, and I guess uh, some of the things we will never know. Uh, but uh, it's great to at least have people who uh, were around so that when the, this uh, revision of history is made, that uh, there's at least some critical engagement with that. Thank you very much for your time. Well, you're most welcome. That there was uh, Zuleti Ngapalo Jordan, uh, uh, ANC uh, veteran, activist, scholar, and uh, historian and intellectual uh, joining us this evening as we reflect on the life of uh, Frederick Willem de Klerk. Uh, and uh, yeah, very much uh, part of uh, the African, Africana nationalism, I should say, of the 20th century. And uh, yeah, many people feel like he had a, uh, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus moment. No, 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 no. That is not our reading of history. And uh, least of all is it the reading of history of the families, of the Sperum Kondos of the world, of Kakauli Kodolozi, of, uh, you know, the Matthew Koniwes, the um, uh, Fort Kalatas, uh, you know, the many people, the Lizonganas of the world, uh, and many others who lived under the heel of, um, you know, um, yeah, the type of education they gave, even the colored education departments that he oversaw in the 80s when the schools uh, in this country were ungovernable. Um, and uh, I think it's difficult. I keep in my thoughts during this moment, um, you know, the, the families of many of the people who lost their lives during that moment. Uh, the families of uh, Opegim Langini was killed with a Walkman. Uh, you know, the families of many of those whose lives were decided at the push of a pen in the State Security Council as, as hits were ordered uh, on their lives. Um, and I've mentioned some of their names. I mean, Victoria Mkenge. Uh, you know, if you want to go there, uh, the, the victims of the Duncan Village Massacre, the victims of the Queenstown Massacre, the victims of, you know, the Boy Patong Massacre, of the Alexandra Massacre, uh, the victims of uh, the killings in Sibukeng out in the Val. I think of those people today. Uh,